Okay, I'm glad you're here. We're rushing toward the new year, and um, you know everyone's focused on how do we how do we get the best new year? How do we get ready? And so, I want to I want to just talk about uh, some some strategies for that, and you know just recap uh, something that we were talking about, and then go go deeper into this idea. So. Everyone should know that, the, 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 that there is a, a Torah-based um, astrology system. And what, what, what makes it different from standard astrology is that it's more um, uh, internal and less predictive. Meaning to say that, that we have a prohibition in the Torah about predicting the future. We're not supposed to predict the future. God wants us to live in the moment, and to put it even more strongly, God actually doesn't want us to know the future. So, so, so that kind of rules out like psychics and, and things like that from, from our tradition, because, because we're supposed to go through life with a different model. We're supposed to go through life not knowing. And obviously the temptation is always there to know. And so, because living with indecision... Is, is one of the great anxiety makers because we don't know what's happening next. But God wants us to focus on the present. By the way, that's one of the most interesting answers given why the, the five books, the Chumash, the Torah itself, doesn't talk more explicitly and openly about Olamaba, the world to come, and about heaven. You see it all over the writings and all over the Talmud and all over the prophets. It talks endlessly about it. But in terms of the five books itself, not so much. And one of the great answers that's given is because God wants us to focus on the present, the here and the now. And if we're just kind of getting ahead of ourselves, it's just life is complicated enough that if we, you know, there's a a great metaphor that I, I always think about. If you know football at all, sometimes you see a wide open receiver who drops the ball. And what happens is there's this weird dynamic that takes place. You see it all the time in football. It's called running with the football before you've caught it. So it's sort of like one thing at a time. Sometimes people, they, they sort of like have mentally caught the football and then they start running with it, but they didn't actually catch the football. And so this is a dynamic that happens to us all the time in our lives, which is that by not being in the present, we don't, we don't do the actual work that needs to be done right now because we're so kind of blinded by what's coming next. And so this is the greatness also of having what's called a Seder. A Seder means, you know, we have the famous Passover Seder, right? But Seder means order. Actually, one of the great Torahs that I ever heard is that if you actually look at the Passover Seder, if there's to call it ordered is, is like it's the opposite of ordered. It's, it's like it's mayhem. You know, you're doing all these things that, that, that seemingly follow no coherent narrative whatsoever. And yet, that actually is the order of life, is that there is no openly coherent narrative. I mean, God has a narrative, and, and everything happens for a reason, and we are being guided in the most extraordinary, logical way. But we are so deprived of so many of the critical pieces of information, like, for instance, what aspect of our souls needs to be fixed? What past lives we live? Where our children are going? Where our future is? There's so many critical elements that we need to know. 
that that it's very hard to follow the, the logical narrative of life. And, and that is sort of mirrored in the Passover Seder itself. Because it doesn't make a lot of sense, and yet it is called order, because there is an essential order. But I'm using the word Seder in a different way right now. Which is that a Seder means that a person has to have the essentials of their life built into their day or to their week in an institutionalized fashion. In other words, a person has to know when are they learning. They have to be able to answer that question. I learn at this time every day, or I learn at this time every week. That has to be built into a person's schedule. And the reason is, the greatness of that, is that over time, when you look back over time, you realize that you were doing the most important things all along. Building in family time. That's the greatness, one of the aspects of the greatness of of, of Shabbat is that you're actually building in quality time and quality relationships with your family. And that becomes institutionalized, so that life doesn't run away on you. In other words, you're not running with the football before you've caught it. This ensures that you're implanting into every single day or every single week the things that you value the most. So that's the importance and the greatness of having a Seder. Okay? So that's, that's something that, that we should know in terms of just living our lives properly. Now, now let's talk about Elul. So Elul, this is the first day of the month of Elul right now. And historically, this is a very, very great day in, in, in world history, in Jewish history. This is the day that Moses, Moshe, ascended Mount Sinai, Har Sinai, and got the second tablets. So remember, he breaks the initial tablets when, when, when we worship the golden calf, right? When we felt that we needed, we thought Moshe was dead. This was the test, by the way. God deliberately gave us this test. So we thought Moshe was dead. He didn't come down. He was supposed to come down, and he didn't come down. And then we make this intermediary because we feel like somehow spiritually very, very insecure, and that's a tragedy because all of us have to understand that we have a direct connection with God, a direct relationship with God. And that there are no intermediaries. There are no intermediaries. And so, anyway, so we, we stumbled in that idea. And then Moshe prays for 40 days for forgiveness. And then God says at the end of this 40-day period, well, let me just backtrack because just so you know, there are three 40-day periods. There's Shavuos, the 6th of Sivan, where we got the Torah. Maybe it was the 7th of Sivan. There's a debate. Forty days later is the worship of the golden calf, and Moshe breaks the tablets. Then he prays for another 40 days, and at the end of those 40 days, that's the first day of the month of Elul. That's today. Moshe goes back up to Har Sinai. And then 40 days after that comes Yom Kippur, when he comes down with the second tablets, and all is forgiven. Okay, so there are three 40-day periods. Fascinatingly, 40 times 3 is 120, and Moshe lives to 120. So here you see this amazing connection between his lifespan and the amount of time he stayed on Mount Sinai. Meaning to say, on at least one simple level, that his entire life force came from the Torah. So, so this is, so to speak, the Baal Tshuva day, the, the return day, the, the, the reattachment day for the whole Jewish people, because... Rosh Chodesh Elul is the day that, 
then Moses is coming up to get, to get that second chance. Okay. So, so he's up there right now. Now, now interestingly, we talked about this, uh, we talked about this last week, but I want to review it and go deeper. The zodiac sign, or what we call the mazel, for the month of Elul, is the basula, which is translated as the virgin. Okay? And this applies to all of us. Okay? Remember, in terms of, in terms of understanding the, the dynamics between heaven and earth, between God and the Jewish people, God, so to speak, is the male, and the Jewish people, so to speak, is the female, or the chassan and the kala, the bride and the groom. God is sending down his light, and we are vessels for God's light. That's the, that's the dynamic. Okay? So, so when it talks about the basula, it's talking about a, a woman who's a virgin, but at the same time, it's talking about all of us. All of us together are, 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 are symbolized by that in terms of the dynamic that's taking place. Now, how are we basulas? How does that, how does that work exactly? And, and the point here is that in a very significant way, you have to understand that a new light is coming down on Rosh Hashanah for the new year. It's a light that's never come into the world yet. And so vis-a-vis that light, all of us are basulas because none of us have experienced that light that's about to come down into the world. So what's important about that is that's a very forward-thinking view of life. In other words, a person doesn't have the opportunity or it becomes utterly inaccurate to say, been there, done that. Because this is a new light that you've never experienced before. So you have not been there and you have not done that. Because this light has never appeared in the world before. Okay. So, So this light is shining in. Now, the letter of Elul, of the month of Elul, is the letter Yud. Now, this is a very amazing letter for so many, so many different reasons. The letter Yud, the way it's written, it's the only letter that floats. It doesn't actually hit the bottom of the line. Some of the letters hit the bottom of the line. Some of the letters even go below the line, but there's no letter that just floats except for the Yud. So the Yud really represents heavenly light. And in fact, in Hashem's, God's holiest name, Yud and He and Vav and He, the very first letter is Yud, which symbolizes the highest point of light, the highest emanations of light. So, so now we have this idea of this this letter Yud. Now, interestingly, if I were to ask you, what's the first letter of the Aleph base? Right? By the way, there's so many... The initial language of creation was Hebrew. God spoke the world into creation using what we call Lashon HaKodesh, meaning the holy tongue, meaning Hebrew. And when the Tower of Babel took place, and all the people basically grouped together in order to fight against God. It's a very deep story, but, but God basically broke them up and made it so that they couldn't understand each other. This is, the word, this is where the word to babble comes from. 
meaning to say when to speak in a way that's not understandable. Okay, that comes from the word babble. And then all the languages started forming. This is, this is how we understand the formation of different languages. But originally it was all Hebrew. Okay? And there's so many words that are in English from Hebrew that aren't credited to Hebrew. I mean, why? I don't know. But just to give you the, one of the most fundamental examples of this, okay? What is, what is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet? Aleph. What's the second letter? Bez. What do we call the Hebrew alphabet? The Aleph Bez. The alphabet. Aleph Bez, alphabet. Bet is, 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 is the word, that's the name of the second letter of the Hebrew language. Aleph Bet. Alpha Bet. So, I mean, it's just, it's so clear. It's so clear, you know. Um, anyway, so, so what's the first letter of the Aleph Bet in Hebrew? So, you would say Aleph, right? But one of the remarkable aspects of the Hebrew alphabet is many um, of the letters are compound formations, meaning to say there are different letters that are combined to form certain letters. So, for instance, the way that you write the letter Aleph, the very first letter that you make when you write the letter Aleph is the letter Yud. And in fact, Aleph is composed of a Yud, a diagonal line across, which is above, and then another Yud. And of course, the famous teaching, which I'm sure you all know, is that if you add up the three different parts of the letter Aleph, Yud and Yud and Vav, that's 10 plus 10 plus 6, that's 26, which is the Gematria of Hashem's holiest name, the Yud Ke Vav Ke. So, so, and Aleph is one. So the oneness of God, when you break it down into its parts, is also another spelling of the name of God, just you're spelling it in math. So, in other words, the more you break things down, the more you're just breaking God down into smaller parts to analyze God. So it's, but it's all God. That's the point. That's, that's the, that's, it's the recipe. Okay, we've got three parts God plus one part God plus half a teaspoon of God. You know, so it's just, it's all God, you know? So anyway, the point is here that the very first letter of the Hebrew alphabet is the letter Yud. Because that's how you write the letter Aleph. First you have to write the letter Yud. So Elul, see we have to understand, see everything is, every construct that you imagine in Torah is an invitation to go deeper and deeper and deeper. So, so, so we say, well, you have the beginning, but then what, how do you prepare for the beginning? Right? So, Rosh Hashanah is the beginning. But then we have the question of, how do we prepare for the beginning? And so, and when is the actual beginning? When does the beginning begin? Right? So, so Elul, this, is, this month is part and parcel with, with, with Tishrei, with Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and Sukkot and everything like that. It all begins right now. All of it is beginning right now. And one sign of that is the fact that the letter of Elul is Yud, meaning to say that's the beginning of the Aleph. It's the beginning of the beginning. 
is happening right now, the beginning of the process. And of course, we're all starting off fresh, which is another level of the basula. Because as much, see, the, the incredible aspect of Torah, remember, God, God exists outside of time. That's why what I'm about to tell you can happen. Where if you fix your present day life, it rectifies your entire life before today. In other words, you fix the present day, you fix your entire life. So, so these new beginnings, in the sense of being a basula, because you say, well, am I really a basula? I mean, maybe I'm, maybe I'm a reformed convict. Maybe that's, a better, maybe that's a better way of expressing it. No, that's not what the Torah is saying. It's a person actually starts off as a basula again. Because by dedicating yourself in the moment, you completely change the narrative of your past. And then you start fresh again. That, that's what it is. That's how it works. So now, I'm going to mention something that Jeff Mann, Shalom Yaakov, said at the end of the class last week. We, we didn't have a chance to say it on tape, but it's such a strong thought. Listen to this. Well, this I'm saying, but I'll get to his thought in a moment. According to the Zohar, the letter Yud is also compared to a tipa zera. Okay, that means a, a, a drop of the male seed. Okay? So now, when we look at the imagery of El again, we have the basula, right? And we have the letter Yud, which is the drop of the male seed. So that's the formula for conception, right? That's how conception works. Now listen to this. It says in the Gomorrah that 40 days after a child is conceived, the, the fetus in the mother's womb actually takes shape, meaning to say the gender of the child is determined on the 40th day. So in other words, its characteristics become extant, who, who it is, what it is, becomes clear on the 40th day. To the extent that we learn out one of the rules of prayer from one of these things. Meaning that if someone wants to pray for it, should be a boy or it should be a girl. Right? Remember, we have uh, the, the, the mitzvah for, for um, being fruitful and multiplying is that you should have a boy and a girl. Okay? So, so ideally, you know, you have as many children as you like, but... But, but ideally, that's the minimum fulfillment of the commandment to be fruitful and multiply, to have a boy and a girl. So, so anyway, the, let's say you want to pray for a girl. I don't have a girl, so I'm going to pray for a girl. After the 40th day, that's called a tefillah shav, meaning to say a prayer which is not an effective prayer, a prayer that you shouldn't pray, because it's sort of like, you know what? As we say, that ship has sailed. Meaning, it's over. It's already been determined. But if you want to pray for the gender of a child beforehand, you have, you have the first 40 days to do it. Anyway, that's, that's a side point. The, the, the main point that, that's being made here is that the gender of the child is determined on the 40th day. Now again, we're on the first day of Elul right now. That's today. Okay? So let's, let's, let's revisit this and we're going to make a very strong point. And this was uh, Shalom Yaakov's point which is that, again, the mazel of Elul 
is the Basula. The letter is the letter Yud, which the Zohar compares to a Tipa Zera, the male seed. So you have a Basula and you have the male seed. That's the formula for conception. Now, 40 days later, after Rosh Chodesh Elul, the first of the month of Elul, is Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is, what we say is that the book is your, 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 your year is written, the judgment is written on Rosh Hashanah, and it's sealed, it's complete on Yom Kippur. That's 40 days later. So you see this imagery is actually works out exactly. It's, it's, it's quite phenomenal, actually. That, that your year, so to speak, gets conceived now, like the beginning of the conception is now, right? And then it, the year that you're going to have, so to speak, comes out on Yom Kippur. That's when it's decided. Now you can still play with it. We still have Hoshana Rabbah. We still have Tochanaka, some people say. But you know what? One of my father's big phrases was, gamblers don't gamble, they minimize risk. Meaning to say that real professional gamblers are actually in the um, you know, risk analysis business. Meaning to say that they're not just rolling dice. They're actually analyzing odds very, very scientifically and then making educated bets, right? That's, okay, not that we should gamble, but, but, but that's what a professional gambler does. So, so just to put ourselves in those shoes for right now, you know what? Hoshana Rabbah is real. It's beautiful. The Hanukkah teaching, it's real and it's beautiful. But don't mess with Yom Kippur. You know what I mean? Just try to get it right by Yom Kippur. Try to get it right by, by Rosh Hashanah. You know, that's, that's how we're instructed to actually to proceed. Now, now listen to this. I heard something very, very beautiful. And I really love this teaching. And um, I just asked you to hear the spirit of, of what I'm about to say. So I, I forgot where I learned this. It was from a good source. But they said that really, you know, as much as we're getting judged as on Rosh Hashanah, it's a higher level to run to get your judgment on the first day of Elul. Meaning, if this is when we say in Elul, the king is in the field. See, normally speaking, if you want to see the king, you have to go to see the king. But part of the greatness of this month of Elul and this, this aspect of closeness is that God, so to speak, goes out among the people. So there's this extra opening in terms of the gates of heaven that takes place in Elul, where God is in the field. God comes out to us. Okay? So, I want to tell you a story. And uh, if someone just told me this idea, I don't know that I'd be able to fully grasp it unless I actually experienced this in my own life. And I did. So this is a true story. And I think it only happened once to me. Okay? So... If this never happened to you, I, it's fine, but it happened to me. Which is, my first son was young. I don't remember how young, but he, I think he came up to just above my knees, so he was little. And I got upset with him about something. 
I don't remember. He did something wrong, but I don't remember what it was. And I must have said a sharp word or something like that to indicate my displeasure with what he had done. I don't remember. All I remember is the following. That he felt bad because he recognized that he did something wrong. And what did he do? He ran to me. He ran to me and he threw his arms around me. And you know something? At a certain point in a person's life, if you feel as though you did something wrong, you run in the opposite direction. And that's most of us. That's most of us all of the time. You know, I heard something so deep from Reb Shlomo in the name of Rebbe Nachman. He said, when does a person begin to hate when they make a mistake. Very, very deep insight into human nature. A person makes a mistake and they don't know how to reconcile their, their mistake, their wrongdoing. And so they begin to hate the person that they made the mistake toward. Or they begin to hate life because they feel as though they've made a mistake vis-a-vis life. And to untangle this emotional knot is one of the greatest services that you can do for yourself or for another person. And so the teaching that I heard about Elul is that once this time of judgment opens up, which is now, run to the judge, run to God, run to Him. Because think about, think about what that means in God's in, 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 in God's mind, so to speak. This person loves me and trusts me so much that they're running to me for the judgment? They're not hiding. They're not running away. They're not procrastinating. They're not, like, they're running to me? In my role as judge, they're running to me? I mean, I can't imagine a greater expression of love and confidence in the goodness of God, than doing that. Now you might ask a practical question, and it's a good question, it's a fair question. So, so wait a second, I don't want to be judged right now. I, I, I've got this whole month of Elul, I want to do so much work on myself. So, so the two things don't have to be contradictory. In other words, in other words, one is going to be availed all of these spiritual opportunities that are, that are just going to start rolling out. Remember, soon we're going to have slichos. You know, the, the Spartan already started slichos today. We're in shul every morning. We're blowing the shofar now every single morning, you know, leading up to Rosh Hashanah. Then we're going to have, you know, the midnight slichos. And by the way, um, I want to invite you all. We're going to do a special program at the Happy Minion. We're going to do another Torah Slam event. Um, for before Slichos, where we're going to go through the different lists of Achates, you know, and it's going to be a great event. It's going to be a great event. We're going to try to actually properly advertise it. And God willing, it's going to be really something special. And then into Slichos. So, so anyway, and then Rosh Hashanah is coming. And, you know, then Yom Kippur and Sukkot and, oh my goodness, Hoshana Rabbah, Simchas Torah. There's so much on the way. There's so much on the way. And of course, this whole month of Elul. So, 
So don't think, if I run to the judge right now, you know, all the work that, 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 that I want to do won't count. No, you say, God, listen, there's so much more that I want to do and there's so much more that I want to get ready. But if the gates are open and you're there, I'm running to you right now. So that's, that's, that's the approach. Now, now, how do you do that? How do you do that? Because, you know, no one wants to run to a public square to stand in line to be first to, to go on the guillotine ride, right? You know, it's sort of like, you know, we can hold off on that for a while. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm in no hurry to put my head on the chopping block. You know, it's, it's okay. It's okay. I got to Rosh Hashanah. It's okay. You know, so, so, so one has to understand that who is the one who is judging us? And the answer is the one who loves us the most. The one who absolutely loves us the most. And if a person understands that, if a person understands that, then, you know, how can you not run? So I want to say another level about the level, uh, about the letter Yud right now. This came to me. Which is, you see, something interesting happened um, on, uh, on Rosh Chodesh Elul today. Moshe got the tablets again, the luchos again. And they were the same exact luchos as the first set in terms of what, in terms of what was actually written on them. But in many ways, they, it was completely different, the second set of luchos. The first set of luchos, the first set of tablets, were completely supernatural. Totally supernatural. And just to give you just some of the aspects, there's a whole list of miracles that are ascribed to the first set of tablets. One of them is that, well, there's so many, but one of them is if you engrave something, uh, if you carve something one way in stone or this kind of sapphire type substance that, that it was on, if you carve it one way, if you were to turn it over, it should be backwards, right? Because you carved it one way. But when you turned it over, it read the correct way the other way. So that's pretty supernatural. Another thing is, that even though it was this hard substance, it could be rolled like a scroll. So it's hard and soft at the same time. Then another thing is, there's two letters. The Gomorrah points this out at the beginning of Gomorrah Megillah. There are two letters which are basically circular letters, okay? So it's the Samach and the final Mem, okay? So the final Mem is more like a square, but nonetheless, it's like a circle. So if you're engraving something and you're carving it straight through, what's happening to those, those holes in the middle, those dots in the middle? They fall out, right? But they didn't fall out. They were miraculously suspended and stayed in their spots, Right. And actually, there's something interesting about this, that it was the letter Samach and Mem that says that there was the miraculous quality by. Now, there's a certain shorthand that people use when they refer to evil in Torah. They, they, there's a, a, an angelic name of this embodiment of evil. And people don't like to say the name uh, unnecessarily. You know, it's like Voldemort. Like that whole kind of 
kind of energy. It's sort of like, so they refer to it as the Samach Mem, which is interesting that they refer to this energy as the Samach Mem, and these are the two letters in the original set of tablets where you had a miraculous quality taking place by it. And the way, I'll just tell you the way I understand that, is that you should understand that evil itself is just a creation and it's just miraculous that it exists at all. Because God is good. So the fact that he allows this energy to play a role in creation, which is in order to give us free choice, by the way, and to test us to bring out our inner greatness, that's the role that this energy plays in this world, um, it's just miraculous. And it's not going to last forever. So to the extent that it exists at all, it just endures by God's miraculous grace. So, so that's a, a reconciliation. Anyway, here's maybe an even more uh, interesting point. A little more intellectual, but nonetheless. On the first tablets, the entire written law, the Torah Shevet and the entire oral law, the Torah Shabal Pen was all written on the first set of tablets. Okay? So now, one of the things that happened when we got the second tablets, which again was today, is that it wasn't written with the finger of God. Meaning to say, like, all these miraculous things, God was starting again. And by the way, there's a big teaching that comes from this, which is when the first tablets were given, it was one of the greatest pyrotechnic events in history. There was the, the, the mountain lit up in fire. It was in the middle of the desert. Flowers appeared all over the... God spoke... People's souls flew out of their bodies. Then they had to be resurrected. And then their souls flew out of their body again and they were resurrected again. And a blast was heard all around the world. And there was an earthquake. And it just, on and on and on. And when God spoke, it was in fire and you could actually read it. And it just, amazing miracles took place by the giving of the first Torah, uh, of the first set of tablets. But then they got smashed. And the second one is just Moses going up with some tablets that he carved out himself. And those are the ones that we have to this day. They're hidden away someplace, but they're there. So the rabbis learned from that, you know something? When you've got something going on in your life, something great, keep it quiet. It'll last longer. Very, see, you know, that to me is just such an emblematic Jewish teaching that you've got this thing which is so far flung and mystical and you get the most practical bit of advice out of it. You know, don't, don't advertise it too much. You know, just, that's for you, whatever it is. So, interesting, interesting. Anyway, now the oral law, the Torah Shabal Peh, is not written on the tablets. Now it's just the, the written law, like the five books, is just on the tablets. Meaning to say, we are now charged with pulling out the oral law from the written law in a way that we didn't have to do it before. 
In other words, there was a level of fusion before, and I'm going to get back to this letter Yud in a moment for Elul, right? There was a fusion that took place on the first tablets in terms of mankind and God, and in terms of the, the unity of the mission and the completion of the mission of this world that got severed and cut when the, when the tablets were smashed. And in many, many ways, and I've given talks on this, you can research it yourself if you like, what happened at Mount Sinai and what happened in the Garden of Eden with the eating from the Tree of Knowledge, they're almost exact parallel events in terms of understanding them. So, so when we ate from the Tree of Knowledge, basically what happened was there was the initial separation of the heart and the mind. That's basically the, the foundation of the exile that we entered into. The separating of the heart and the mind. That's what happens by eating of the tree of knowledge. But now you see another application of this. Because when we got the second tablets, the written law is there, but the oral law is not there. And we're now charged with bringing that out. Okay. So... And there's actually a heart-mind aspect because it says that you have to write them on the tablets of your heart. So the tablets, the, the written law really does represent the heart. And then the Torah Shabbat Peh, which is that, that digging in, that deep process of, of deriving and ascertaining is, is more the mind. So you have, the, again, the separation of the heart and the mind again. So you see it here too. Okay. Now listen to this. We're just building up to this very beautiful, simple medrash. Okay? But now we did our homework. And we can enjoy. So, so it says, Moshe is writing it down. And the Medrash says that at the end, there was one drop of ink left. Now, remember, the Zohar says that, that the letter Yud can be compared to a tipa zera. Right? But... I want to say that it stands for another drop, which is this drop of ink that Moshe had left when he's writing down the written law. And what does he do? The Medr says that, you know, he, 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 I don't know if it says he broke a sweat or what, 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 what happened exactly, but he wiped his forehead and he had this drop, this last drop of ink, and he wiped, this, he wiped it on his, his forehead and then it says when he descended from the mountain that he was shining. Right? And to show you the humility of Moshe, you know, like his reaction wasn't, I'm shining? Cool. Right? His reaction was to wear a hood and to cover up. Because it was, I don't know, it, it, you know, it almost makes you cry just thinking about it. Moses was a person. He was a real person. He actually lived. He's a real guy. And he wasn't, he's not a fictional character or superhero or someone who someone attributed things to. He actually did these things. And to think that this actual human being who is shining after this process, that his reaction was to take a hood and to cover himself up is heartbreaking in a way. I don't know if I'm expressing myself, but it's kind of heartbreaking. Anyway, the point here is fusion. 
What you have here is the fusion between the written word, which is the last drop of ink, and the human being, which represents Tor Shabalpeh, that process of deriving that knowledge out, where you have the text and you have the person as two separate entities. And he's taking the last drop from the text and he's wiping it onto himself, the person, and you have this level of fusion that's taking place. And now he has to pull out from the text. Remember, the way the Chumash is organized. The first four books, you have five books, the first four books are dictated to Moshe, letter by letter by God. And the fifth book is Moshe speaking, which we're always reading at this time, where you have that fusion between Torah Shebek and Torah Shebaal where Moshe prophesies the last book, and then God says, write it down. So it becomes God's word also. Or according to the Chassim Sofer, that when Moshe went out to speak it, God put the Shekhinah in his voice, and it all came out, and it became Moshe's word and God's word simultaneously. However you understand it, the point is fusion. And that's the month of Elul. In order to take these texts, in order to take these teachings, and to integrate them, and to make them part of you, so that you shine, so that we all shine. This is what's going on right now. This is what's going on. 